This week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, Rick Evans concludes his series titled Storyline, in which he covers the final act of the five-act play over the church, looking at the book of Acts all the way through the book of Revelation. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. There may be a few stragglers with the rain, but we'll go ahead and get started. Hope everyone's having a good week. Um, feels nice and cool in here today, which hadn't felt this cool, so it's a nice, nice change. Um, I'm going to dive in here. Just to recap, um, Act 1 was the king creates. Act 2 was rebellion against the king. Act 3 was God using Israel um, as the start of his redemption plan and to kind of indicate a monarchy, the, king, the kingdom. Um, Act 4, the king with us. Of course, that's Jesus. And Act 5 is the king launches his church. Um, a lot of it is going to be consistent of what we see in Acts, the book of Acts. Um, but we're going to go a little beyond Acts after that because some books were written after Acts. Um, we'll, we'll touch on those. Um, there's going to be a lot of just touching on some of these books. But we also will look at where some of these books may have fallen in, in the book of Acts and what's going on with Paul and everything. Just as a reminder, um, well, first of all, one correction from last week. I thought about the next day, and I, I didn't say it the way I wanted to say it. It's a very minor point, but I like to make sure I'm as accurate as possible. I said we didn't know how many gifts there were with the wise men. I meant to say we didn't know how many wise men there were, because we knew there were three. We, there appeared to be three gifts, so people assumed there were three wise men. Well, we don't know that. We just That just became folklore. Oh, there's three wise men. We don't know how many wise men. So I just wanted to create it's a minor point. It really has nothing, no big bearing on this. You, know. you don't have to throw away all your notes and throw the book out and all that. You know. Um, but I wanted to correct that. Also, I want to go back and remind everyone what's kind of going on here um, at the end of, of the, uh, the Gospels. Jesus has died. He gives the Great Commission and we see with the ascension he's going to go up and we're going to touch on that again here in just a minute but remember what's going on in the mind of the israeli leadership the israelites they're thinking you had the pharisees the sadducees the essenes and the zealots remember that and so they have these other than the sadducees who kind of said let's get along with whatever power is here the others are saying, hey, we need distinct markers. You know, we were unfaithful in the past. We need distinct markers of who we are as Israel. That's part of our problem. We're, we're not acting as the chosen ones. Um, so that, that mindset's still there. Although the disciples and the apostles now are getting, kind of looking at things a little differently because now they've, they've encountered Jesus. Um, and so they're going to have to deal through this, this new terrain here. We're going to touch on that in just a minute. So I just want to put that context back in there because that's going to be important as we go into um, the, the next thing here. Um, also, what we're going to see is, as I mentioned last week, um, there's a spiraling effect of, you could, you could really start with, with creation spiraling to Israel, kind of zeroing in on Israel. And I talked about last week how Jesus, and we're going to, Peter's going to mention this here in um, the book of Acts, starts in Galilee, and he starts working his way to Jerusalem. Well, now what we're going to see, we see with Jesus in the Great Commission, he says, does anyone remember what he says? He says, 
from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. We're going to start to see this reversed. It's now going to start going back out. So you have the spiral going in, Jesus. Now the spiral is going to start going back out, powered by the Holy Spirit. And that's the other thing I want to make, make sure I remind everyone. This story is about the king. It's about God. That is the overall storyline. It's about God. It's about his character, who he is, that he wants to know us. That's the storyline. Um, I heard a, a theologian say recently, I thought it was real good, he said, too often we forget that and we get caught in the stories. We get caught into, well, God did this in the Old Testament for this person. I'm in a similar situation, so God will do this for me in this situation. That's not how we're to read. That's not what this is about. This is about, of, oh, that's God's character. I see that. My circumstance is this, but I can trust God's character. And not saying how it's going to end up, but too often we want to fit the story to fit our circumstances, and that's going to be the solution. Well, the solution is God. The solution is God and his character and us just resting in him and trusting in him. That's what this, these stories are all about. That's what he's done through history to show his character and that is care for us. So let's dive in. Um, again, Acts, the book of Acts is where we're going to start because um, it's the one, as I said last week, it's Luke part two, essentially. It's Luke part two. Um, and it picks the story right up. Um, and it starts with uh, the ascension, um, which, as, as I mentioned there, symbolizes his, Jesus' place of authority. He's going to go up to heaven, and he's now sitting on the throne, the right hand of God, all that. But we know from the Gospels that he's not going to leave them alone. He's going he's to provide the Holy Spirit um, to be with them. So um, Bartholomew writes in, in the book, the Messiah now shares the throne of God over all creation and all people. The throne is not in Jerusalem. Now remember how that important that was in the Old Testament as we went through. Jerusalem was key. It was so important to them as was the temple. But he is now above the whole world. Thus God's kingdom has no boundaries. And, and although this isn't in your notes, um, he goes on to say, Jesus accomplished what Israel had largely failed to do, to be a light to the nations. His followers are charged with that mission. As we have seen, Jesus' mission centered in the coming of God's kingdom, the restoration of God's rule over all creation and all of human life the day of God's salvation. Through, though today some Christians believe that Jesus came to enable us to escape this creation and live eternally in another, an otherworldly and heavenly dwelling, such, um, such an understanding of salvation would have been entirely foreign to the Old Testament prophets, first century Jews, and Jesus himself. It was a, there's a whole idea of salvation and, and life in Christ. It's not just about escaping and going to heaven. So, um, we read about Pentecost, which is just a huge event. Um, and it's the fulfillment of the prophet jo uh, Joel in Acts 2, 17, 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's 
Peter's saying this in, in Acts chapter 2, and um, he's recalling what Joel had written. Um, so huge moment. The third person of the Trinity is now empowering the church. God has not left us alone. Um, Jesus is on his throne interceding for us, but the Holy Spirit is with us, guiding us. So God is still with us. Um, Acts chapter 2 is also um, very important because it, it's a sermon by Peter. And it's, it's a sermon of the story of the Old Testament leading up to this moment. So he's talking about David. He's talking about being reconciled to God. And that's the key. It's just, just there's the important elements. And we're going to come back to that. So I want to just point that. And so just keep that in your back of the mind because for long we're going to look back at that concept of what he's doing in that sermon. So, with the coming of the Spirit, the church has a foretaste of the salvation of the kingdom. The kingdom banquet has been prepared by the work of Christ, but it waits for a future time when all the guests have been assembled. Those who follow Christ have already begun to taste the power of salvation that will accomplish the renewal of all things. It becomes the prime exhibit of what the future kingdom will look like. It is like a trailer to a film. The apostles formed the foundation of a new kingdom, excuse me, a new nation, kingdom of God's people. <clears throat> um, it is this in-between concept. I, I talked last week about they saw the day of the Lord and all this, the, the kingdom was going to be rushed in in the Old Testament and the Messiah was going to lead them and it was going to happen, boom, boom, boom. Well, here you have, as he, Bartholomew mentions this, it's been prepared, but it waits for a future time when all the guests have been assembled. There's just in-between time. And that's what the New Testament apostles are going to have to work through. They're thinking, okay, we just had that happen, and now we know that's going to happen. What do we do in the meantime? What's this going to look like? And that's what they're going to work out. Um, we have the concept of the church um, in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, it's a big part of this church, those, those concepts. The apostles' teaching, you know, scriptures, New Testament, to fellowship, you know, just this, friends you may have, missional community groups, serving on teams, um, that kind of thing. And it's so stressed here. And to the breaking of bread, which many, you could have it, consider it, you know, dinner, eating, eating with people, you know, going to Starbucks, or you consider it the Lord's Supper, communion that we have here every week. Um, I think it probably is meaning that more than, you know, and to prayer. Of course, this is a praying church. So Emmaus does a wonderful job in all those areas of exhibiting that idea of the church. On the one hand, the church is a pilot plant of the kingdom of God. This is uh, Tim Keller talking. If people aren't familiar, I, I think I've mentioned Tim Keller before, pastor, missional theologian from New York. <laughs> um, if anyone was here for the, uh, the apologetics class a couple years ago, he, it was his video series we used. Um, just terrific. So anyway, on the one hand, the church is a pilot plant of the kingdom of God. It is not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. It is a royal nation. There's that kingdom idea again. Um, 
1 Peter 2.9. In other words, a counterculture. The church is to be a new society in which the world can see, a fam- see what family dynamics, business practices, race relations, and all life can be in the kingship of Jesus Christ. God is out to heal all the effects of sin, psychological, social, and physical. On the other hand, the church is to be an agent of the kingdom. It's not only to model the healing of God's rule, but it is to spread it. To spread the kingdom of God is more than simply winning people to Christ. It is, walk, it is also working for the healing of persons, families, relationships, and nations. It is doing deeds of mercy and seeking justice. It is ordering lives and relationships and institutions and communities according to God's authority to bring blessedness of the king, bring in the blessedness of the kingdom. Um, Tim Keller has such a way with words and that's it. I mean, he's, it's an outstanding idea of what we're about. There's, the, there's that idea of church is more than just Sunday mornings. It is a community that's on mission about following Christ. Um, then we have part B, the mission, his mission continues. So in each major section of Acts, we read that the word of God spread or something similar. The new, excuse me, the new community of believers continues Jesus' mission of gathering the lost from within Israel and then spread outward. That's that spiral I'm talking about. It's going out there. Then we have Peter's sermons, um, Acts 2. He does another one, 4. There's a similar type thing in, I think, Acts 10. Again, it's sermons on kind of the background and core ideas of the story up to this point. Uh, Bartholomew says, Peter takes the opportunity to proclaim the good news once more in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament story has reached its climax. And we see um, he talks about the king in Acts 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, that in excuse me, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, really putting it out there, right there. Um, He's bringing back, again, if I go back to kind of an Old Testament idea, is Isaiah 45, 23. But myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. So Peter's kind of going back to that Isaiah message. You know, it's the, 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 eventually this is all going to end. There's a final time coming that's been initiated. So um, in Acts 3, he talks about him as the restorer. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. There's that one of those re-words we've been talking about, as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. We then have, and I don't have it in your notes, the story of Ananias and Sapphira um, and their misdeeds. Um, and then we have um, Stephen martyred. Um, again, Stephen's speech is a big, long recap of Israel's history up to this point. Again, they're driving home the point. This, the story isn't something just spun on. This, there's, this has been developing from long ago, and he's telling the, the um, Israel leadership, you know this story. Let me remind you. 
about Moses and about David and all this has been leading up to this point. Um, and then, of course, Stephen is, is murdered. He's the first martyr. Um, and Paul is introduced. I think it's one of the great cliffhanger moments of Stephen's dying and it talks about and off to the side they're throwing the cloaks at the, the feet of a person named Saul who we never later would come to know as Paul. And it's kind of that little Easter egg as they put in movies, you know. Who is this guy standing over there? You know, why is this so important that he's getting the cloaks put at his feet? And so, but later we will, we will learn shortly actually. Um, as Bartholomew says, the spirit dominates the story with Paul as his instrument. So, so we read about Paul, it's really about God. It's really about the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, as, as Bartholomew said, the spirit is a deposit on the coming kingdom. The spirit is the first fruits. Then we have the story of Peter and Cornelius. Um, this is a huge moment because Cornelius is a Gentile. Go back to what I said a few minutes ago about the Pharisees, the Zealot. Here we have this conflict going. The Holy Spirit is saying, go to this Gentile and proclaim the kingdom to him, who Jesus is. Well, that, as you, you may remember, just Jesus talking to the Samaritan, Samaritan woman was a huge deal um, because she was not a It's that kind of tension that's going on here. And Peter's saying, whoa, well, okay. Um, and so he does it um, and he talks about him as the king again Acts 10 you know the message God sent to, um, to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all not just Israel Lord of all that's going to be the message there's this Gentile theme now really coming in um, and I threw in there Acts 11 because I thought this, this passage really sums up what's going on i think peter really gets it in his head of okay things are changing here it says as i began to speak the holy spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning so he's saying to the apostles hey he was landing on the gentiles like he was for us i mean just keep that in mind then remember what the lord had said what jesus had said john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit so if God give, gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, I, was, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? I thought this great line. Who was I to think I could stand in his way? You know, God's doing this. Who am I to stop it? When they heard this, they had no further objections. <laughs> and praise God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's just a that sums up what's going on here. Like, you know, this seems odd to us, but the Holy Spirit said this. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be there. Who are we to stand in his way? You know, let's, let's go with this. Um, not that there aren't going to have some rocky points there. Um, of course, when in that Acts 10, when he, he says, Jesus, who is Lord of all, again, bring back the Shema. Got to keep bring that in mind. The Shema is coming back out. Um, Hero of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, he, he's saying that that same God in the Shema is Lord of all, and we need to proclaim it. It is around, I'm, I'm going to throw James in here because this is a point where we're going to talk about James in, in just a second. So um, 
James, it's not John's brother James that we see earlier. This is James who is Jesus' half-brother, um, who all indication are, wrote the book. And I'd, I'd want to say a scholar may discover something next week and say, no, it was actually, okay. But for the most part, all indications are it was the half-brother of, of Jesus who becomes the leader in the church in Jerusalem, one of the leaders. Um, this is when that book is written, around this time in Acts, okay? Um, I'm not saying exactly here, and some of these are just speculations, but you get the idea, okay? This James, he's now writing a letter, okay? He's writing in wisdom literature style. Uh, Anson went through this, um, I can't remember how far back, but um, he writes in a pastoral letter to teach and encourage the spreading of the church. Um, one of the more famous passages, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Um, it's that kind of deal, you know, put, you know, Put your money where your mouth is, is, is kind of where he's, he's going there. Um, James also talks about trials and temptations. Don't merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Um, be careful how you speak, submit yourself to God. And he talks about patience and prayer. So that's, they'll throw in the book of James there. But that also indicates James is one of the earlier letters written. It's one of the earlier letters written out of the New Testament. Um, so just keep that in mind. Then we have Paul's kind of been geared up. He's done the Damascus thing, become a Christian um, under the tutelage of Barnabas, and they are now on their first mission. Um, and that's around 46 to 40 AD, it is thought, um, that they, they'll go on this mission. Um, they come back. They're saying, hey, we're, this Gentile is just kind of hanging out there. And we have what's considered the very first church council, um, the Council of Jerusalem um, in Acts 15. And that is where actually James, again, that's why I threw that letter there, uh, kind of oversees the council. And Paul and uh, Barnabas say, hey, you know, how many of these Old Testament rules are the Gentiles supposed to keep? You know, here's this tension going on. You know, and there's, their point is kind of, we really can't put this burden on them. It was more for us Jews, not for the Gentiles. You know, if Jesus comes and anyone who believes in him and you can have, just as a matter of faith, why do we have to put the old? Well, there's a little tension, a little push back and forth. Yeah, but we are a branch of Judaism kind of mindset. So there's got to be some. So they came to a kind of a compromise of what, what it could be. Um, and so that's what that is. Then... Paul and Barnabas continue on, and they have a little spat over John Mark. Um, John Mark's been with them. John Mark wants to go home. He doesn't have stomach for it. Paul says, you know, he's, I'm done with him. Barnabas says, who happens to be related to John Mark, says, no, I think we can still use him. He'll come around. They decide to split. I'm not saying who is right or wrong. Um, I don't know if they handled it right, but it turned out fine. John Mark course writes the gospel of mark so you know and we let her see paul write favorably about him and peter took him under his wing so it's all good um and they go on then they have you know, the second missionary journey this point let me introduce the letters of paul some of the letters of paul um many of his letters most of his letters were written during these journeys he was on 
Um, the exact timing, again, I'm not, don't hold me to these, but we'll kind of throw them in where many think they are um, and kind of give an idea and touch on some of these. Um, as Bartholomew says, if we are to understand Paul's teaching in his letters, we must first see him as a missionary whose primary motive is to nourish the churches he has planted so that they become faithful witnesses to the kingdom. This is important. There's another new book out on Romans, and his, he stresses this idea too. Too often we look at Paul's letters just as theological treatises, like he's writing a term paper or putting out a thing for publication in a journal. Equally as important, if not more important, he's writing as a pastor, as a missionary to these churches that he is caring about in their context, in their certain situations. Yes, he is talking about some theological truths that we clearly get a lot out of, but we also have to understand the context. He's a caring pastor, and that's what he's, he's shaping his theological wording to meet those, those situations. The earliest ones are thought to be the, th the two letters, uh, the two Thessalonian letters. Um, First Thessalonians is a, essentially an encouraging report. Be sanctified, rejoice, rejoice always. Some of you may have this written somewhere in your house. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will um, for you in Christ Jesus. Um, and then Second Thess Thessalonians, beware of deception, stand firm, don't be idle. One thing he is talking about here is they're thinking, okay, Jesus came, we're in this in-between. How soon is he coming back? You know, certainly it's going to be soon. And Paul's saying, just live out what you're supposed to live out. You know, beware of deception, stand firm, don't be idle. Some were being idle, thinking, well, he's coming back soon, so we don't need to do anything, you know, and it didn't look good. It wasn't being handled well. So it's that kind of Paul's, again, that situation, new church, new churches, new situation they weren't expecting. Paul's saying, hey, yeah, he's coming back, but it doesn't matter when. It's, you got to still live out your Christian walk. So um, now we go back to Acts. So he's written the Thessalonians letters. Now we're back to the story in Acts. So we see the story of Timothy and Lydia. Timothy, of course, would later be almost like a little brother to Paul. Lydia, who had become a, a leader of church. And Paul and his new partner, Silas, are in prison. We see that. And we see the story of Paul in Berea, where um, the Bereans are commended for um, testing all things against Scripture, what Paul is saying. He later would say it's very commendable of them. And um, his visit to Athens, where he, um, many use that as an apologetic example. Some say he handled it right, some say he didn't, but it's an interesting story where he went up and said, I see you have many gods. I see you have one statue here for the god with no name. I'll tell you who this is. Um, he convinced some of the philosophers and others that were watching to go with him. Others said, no, nah, you know, they're Paul and that. That thing's crazy. So um, that's where those stories happen. Then Paul goes on his third missionary journey, which is around 53 to 57 A.D., at that time, he goes to um, Corinth. He meets Priscilla and Aquila, who become prominent church leaders. He meets Apollos, a fellow disciple. Um, 
and then he goes into Ephesus where he actually spends a lot of time in, in Ephesus. Um, and that's in Acts 18 through 19. Uh, <clears throat> at that time, he writes 1 Corinthians, Galatians, then 2 Corinthians, and Romans. There is a 3 Corinthians letter because he mentions it. We don't know when it was written or we'll probably never find it. If you find it, you would get a lot of money. I <laughs> don't know if it would then be incorporated in considered scripture, but um, it's interesting. That. But anyway, so 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, um, Paul tries to encourage it, deal with the church at Corinth amid reports of some of the conduct there. They're really not behaving well. But he brings it back to this idea of God, the Spirit. God with, Again, it's a story about God. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Again, remember how important the temple was. He said, don't you remember? Don't you know you are the temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. Um, so again, it's a story about God, and he's, he's trying to get them um, to recognize that deal, and, and the conduct there is clearly out of hand. Um, we go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to spend a little time here on this. Uh, the creeds class, we spent a lot of times on this. If you're familiar with the Nicene and Apollo Creed, some of the wording here is going to look familiar to you. This is considered like the Shema, although that was Old Testament. This is an early formulation of a creed. Some say it's pre-creedal, some say it's creedal, um, but clearly it was being turned around. They don't think it's necessary was new to Paul. He was just reciting the creed. So, 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance. Let me say that right there. There are things that are of first importance. There are priorities in Christian doctrine. If someone says, I've got to be careful here. What's a good example of a secondary doctrine? Trinity, the Trinity would be considered a primary doctrine of first importance. Jesus Christ dying and rising again, that's first importance. Obviously, the existence of God is first importance. Some would say, how, this would be a good example, how often you celebrate the Lord's Supper. Some say, it's really important. You should do it every week. Some say, we do it quarterly. Some sporadically. Um, baptism. Get a little a little more serious. Some say you should have believer's baptism. Some say you, sh you can baptize infants too. Both those, especially the baptism one, um, obviously the Lord's Supper being done is very important. Um, the frequency may not be as important. Um, the type of baptism is very important, but it is a secondary issue. That doesn't mean it's not really, really important. And, but we can gather, if we are a church that 
does believers baptism we can still have Christian fellowship with a church that does infant baptism we may disagree with them and they may disagree with us on that issue but we know about the first importance issues and we agree with them wholeheartedly and we can join arms in that and I think we need to keep that in mind secondary issues doesn't mean they're not important and don't need to be hashed out some like what color the carpet should be you know please you know, and, but we don't want to raise, if you raise everything to first importance, then nothing is of first importance. And Paul clearly is saying there's some things of first importance. So, that die, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that at the same time, most of whom are still living. That's an interesting little tidbit he's throwing out there. Most are still, li- still living, if you want to check out the story. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and he goes on. Um, that first important that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Again, he's summarizing something here. He's summarizing the story. He's saying scriptures, the Old Testament. According, the, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's saying according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament. And it's pointing to Christ. That he was buried and then he was raised again, raised on the third day according to the scriptures again. Also it's talking about that lineage, that idea of you know, according to the scriptures, who this guy is supposed to be and all this played out. You know, He's summarizing all that. We're going to put your little bookmark there. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. All right, then he writes Galatians. And it's dealing with the Judaizers, talking about first and first important, second important issues. The Judaizers were stressing, hey, we need to put these rules back on the Gentiles. We need to really stress this. Um, and that's what the book of Galatians says. Paul's saying, hey, everything was accomplished in Christ. It was all accomplished in Christ. And you're wanting to put these rules, Old Testament rules, back on people. That's a different gospel. That's Christ plus. That's Christ plus doing these things. And he's saying, you can't do that. That's wrong. He even would butt heads, as we see in Galatians 2 and 3 with Peter. Peter fell back into this trap. He started sitting with the Judaizers. James happened to be one of the Judaizers too. Um, and Paul had a face-to-face, said, no, this is going backwards. Christ has changed it all, set us all free. We don't need to go back. It's a different gospel. It's a different gospel. You need to stop it. That's what Galatians is all about. And he says in 5.1, for it is our freedom that Christ has set us free. Keep in mind, what freedom meant to the history of the Jews. If you think about the story, the study we're going through now in, on Sunday mornings, that, it wasn't an accident, he uses this terminology. Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You know, he's driving home the point. Why are you going back to Egypt? Why are you going back to Egypt? We, we've been free. This is a done deal. Let's live it out. Let's not go backwards. So, um, he then writes 2 Corinthians. Um, more issues in Corinth. 
They just can't get it together, including questions of Paul's ministry, and he has to defend his ministry, okay? Then he writes Romans. Um, it's a very long book. Um, if you know the story, John Piper did a, went through it, expository preaching through the book of Romans. And Heather, you mean, I think it took him nine years? I don't know, is it nine years? I mean, it's, it's thick. A lot of theological truths. But again, don't forget, it's equally, if not more so, a pastoral letter to a church in Rome. And what it's dealing with is similar issues. Jews and Gentiles in a church together in Rome, how are they supposed to get along? What's the rules here? So much of the Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament letters, especially in Paul, that is the primary issue, unity. What is the unity? You guys need to get unified. This Jews and Gentiles, sorry, the gospel's for all. The message is for all. We're all a church together. You need to work out your differences and recognize Christ set us free, all of us. So get it together. So Paul's dealing with this in these various churches. Clearly in Galatians, he had to come down hard. In Romans, there's a tension. Some think there was also a little bit of a class tension going on there in Rome. Um, although, interesting, a recent find, I think in the last two weeks I was just published, put a different perspective on that. And that shows you how quickly, if I'd done this two weeks ago, when you mentioned it, I would have said, oh, the Gentiles were seen as wealthy and the Jews were seen as poor. So you also had this tension between the, a class issue, not just Jew-Gentile. Well, this new discovery puts into question, were the Gentiles really so wealthy? So there's scholarship changing it right there. That's how fast it can go. So anyway, um, we bring up, and this is a passage I brought up in, I think, Act 3, um, the famous passage that influenced Luther, influenced Wesley, um, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, again, he's referring back to the Old, Test Old Testament prophet, the righteous will live by faith. Um, then the fam famous passage of Romans 3, all fall short. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's that issue. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. There's one of those rewords that came by Christ Jesus. He goes on to talk about law and life in Christ, life through the Spirit. I'm, I'm not really commenting on that. Do not miss the importance of that. That... That is what Christian life is primarily about. Life in him, God. Life in Christ. Life in the Spirit. That uniting with him in our daily walk through prayer, meditating in scripture, just contemplating him. Just as the Thessalonian letter wrote, pray continually throughout your day. It's just he's with us, recognizing that having him sanctify us through that. So I'm not really going into that because you could do a whole series on that. And but don't miss the importance of that. 
that is, I can't stress it enough. Um, think about your life in Christ. Not just what are you doing for him, but are you being with him? Are you just being with him? He just wants to be with you. And that's the life in Christ, and it shines. It is that light that shines everywhere when that relationship grows. Creation and relationship, Romans 8. For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from bondage, from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That family relationship idea. Again, impacting everything. Not just, do I go to heaven when I die? This is about... This impacts all our lives, all of creation. Then he gets to talk about Israel um, and its place in the story, um, Romans 9 through 11. A lot of different takes on that. That is a, can be a confusing section, but it's an important section. And Paul's saying, hey, don't miss the importance of Israel and the Jews. He's not saying, let's say Israel, the nation as we know it today, but just... Israel, that, that, that is the apple of God's eye that started it all. Don't, Gentiles, don't get puffed up that we're better than the Jews now that Jesus came and saved us too. It's remember where it came from first. You know, Jesus was a Jew. Don't forget it. He talks about um, being transformed and renewing. Again, back to that life in Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he's kind of saying, you know, what we did, the way we worshiped in the Old Testament, this is the new, true way. Do not conform to the pattern of the sword, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Talks about Romans 13, love fulfills the law. Um, he goes on saying that for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Paul shows that the moral laws, Keller talks about, Paul shows that the moral laws are still binding. Sin is sin. Is still sin. We still can't, can't go out and murder and steal. But penalties have changed since the Old Testament nation. State was using civil penalties. The gospel is not confined to a single nation now. It is released to all. Just wonderful. So we go back to Acts. Paul is then arrested in Jerusalem. Paul's court appearances and and has his court appearances and then he travels to Rome around 59 to 60 is thought. Paul arrives in Rome and we see that through Acts 21 through 28. It's kind of a long process of getting him to Rome. When he gets to Rome it is thought he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. So he was really busy, a lot of time, he's in a prison, maybe house, under house arrest, whatever, but he had a guard with him, so he's going to jot down some letters of encouragement. Some say he knew he was, the end was coming. He's going to say, hey, these are going to be my, my farewell you know, encouragement letters. Um, others that may not have been fully his motives, whatever they were. He may have thought I was going to be released. And something he did get released after 
Romans 20. Some don't think that was the end of the story. But something he, he journeyed again, and then later was rearrested and died, um, whatever the story. Um, but Ephesians 1, he writes about, and it, this is such a summary of all we've talked about. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Um, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be a holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Let me stop there. Um, I think, was it last year or two years ago, this church handed out the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. If you got that book and haven't read it, I highly recommend you read it. Adoption, he talks about, is a key, if not the key culmination of the, of the story. That, that idea of family, of, again, of relationship. Don't overlook that, that idea of adoption. Uh, verse 6 here, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put in effect, into effect when the times reach the fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Again, Christ is the king, is ultimate story. Everything's going to be brought together. But the idea of unity and all creation and family and relationship and reconciliation all kind of combine there. Again, in Ephesians, he talks about the Jew and the Gentile need to reconcile. Again, talks about our life in Christ. Philippians. The main point of Philippians I didn't go too far, and I highly recommend reading it. It's a great book. Rejoice. Just rejoice. Remember, he's under arrest, and he's saying rejoice. Rejoice. Joy. He talks about a lot about joy and rejoice throughout the book. And it's some famous passages in there. Uh, very famous, what they think is a hymn, um, possibly, uh, which is Philippians 2, uh, where he talks about um, God, uh, Jesus humbling himself. That's... Um, that's a famous passage there in that book. Um, then he writes Colossians, dealing with heresies. So heresies are now stopping to pop up. Other than the Galatians one, which kind of was tied to the Jewish thing, other heresies are now starting to pop up, uh, showing that Christ is adequate. He's a reconciler. Colossians 1, 19-20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Right there, talking about the deity, the deity of Christ. Right there. And through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It is that reconciliation to God. That's really the idea of there, there are atonement theories out there of what happened on the cross and what Jesus meant. He was an example. He, um, he was victorious at the cross in his resurrection, defeating evil and Satan. He um, atoned for sins by his penalty. He, he was the idea of redemption. 
um, which of course we got back in the book of Ruth, but that idea of redeeming us, all these ideas there. But it's that reconcile us to God. And as Jesus said, this is eternal life to know God. He said that in the Gospels. That's what we're, that's the idea of life with God. That's what the Christian walk is all about. It's not, again, I'll keep stressing this, it's not about do I have a nice place after I die to hang out. It's not a vacation retirement plan. It is what the most important thing is being with him, being reconciled with God, knowing him deeply. That's what this is all about. Everything else becomes secondary to that. In Philemon, he writes about um, the idea of returning a Christian slave um, to his Christian master. Some see that as a very interesting idea of a new order, being the seed being planted. And Paul does it in a very smooth way of, hey, you know, I did a lot for you, Christian master, you know, and your brother in Christ, and, but I've also gotten to know your slave who ran away, and he's become a brother in Christ as well. So I'm going to send him back to you now because that's the right thing to do. He needs to make that right with you. But I know you're going to treat him a lot right, this Christian brother, Christian brother. And, you know, the seeds are being planted of, some say Paul didn't really, wasn't really thinking of slavery as good or bad. Him, it was too early to really think through that. Some think he was. He was planting the seeds of, hey, this idea needs to be overturned. We need to start playing the seed of, hey, are we treating each other right with this idea? So anyway, uh, he then writes 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They're letters to a young pastor, pastors who are church planters, uh, Timothy younger than probably Titus. And Timothy was like a son to Paul, uh, very close. And so he's writing them instructions, encouragement, um, fight the fight, run the race. Um, great books I think we've done first or second Timothy in here I can't remember which one we had second we did both okay we did first sense thank you John first sense I can say um, but in second Timothy 2 8 I'm going to park here for a second he writes remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David this is my gospel for which I am suffering into the point of being chained like a criminal, talking about his imprisonment. For God's word is not chained, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, bringing back that Old Testament kingship line, that Old Testament backstory. It's about Jesus. It's about the resurrection. It's about the backstory. That is a summary, as he says, this is my gospel. So what is the gospel? It is Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Expand it out a little bit. If you had a little more to that, you go to 1 Corinthians 15. For first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Going back again. That he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we have a very shortened abbreviation of the gospel, 2 Timothy. Maybe a little bit longer in 1 Corinthians. If you go to the sermons of Peter and Acts, you now have these stretched out a little bit further in sermon form. They go back through, or Stephen's, even Stephen's speech at the end, drawn out the backstory leading up to this. This is, this is the gospel. If you stretch those sermons out even farther, you have the gospels themselves. And as one scholar says, the gospels are the gospel. The gospels are the gospel. Too often we want to make the gospel, and this isn't necessarily wrong, about do you know you're going to go when you die, when you go to heaven? That's the gospel. You get eternal life. and That's a product of this gospel that Paul's talking about. So it's not wrong. My point is the story's bigger. The story's more to that. It's about Christ. That's the gospel. What happens there, then you can talk about. But we don't want to shortchange the gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. He didn't even talk about, and you get to go to heaven, and there's a lot of harps, and things like that. He's not even going there. He's summarizing his gospel. Again, there are ramifications from this gospel that we need to proclaim. But let's make sure we make the main thing the main thing. It's very important. In summary, Paul in his letter stresses the new life, the new identity by the power of the Holy Spirit. For Paul, the age to come kingdom has arrived with the death and resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Um, because with this, we, we end Paul and we probably end Acts. Don't know. Some of the letters we're going to talk about here briefly may have been written near the end of Acts. We don't know. But I'm going to talk about them briefly right after. But let me ask you a few questions, getting your, your little groups there. Let's, let's get back to it. Uh, Robert, uh, as you guys go, go back to see, uh, Robert brought up a great point, and I want to make sure, if he doesn't mind, sharing what you're, you initially said. <laughs> he minds. <laughs> then I'll say what you said. <laughs> no, um, but you brought up a great point about what we do know and don't know. So go ahead. Do you want to say? Um, I mean, we were just saying that, you know, like a lot of people will say we need to go back to the early church. Well, that, I mean, the, the, what we see in, in Acts primarily is, is a very small slice of reality of the full depth of life during that time. So it's, we should be careful about taking that and making that prescriptive of everything about our lives, you know. Because, because we don't, I mean, they still did laundry, they still had kids that got sick, they still, some of them, they had jobs, they, you know, they paid their taxes, you know, that the roof leaked, you know, I mean, stuff, you know. So we just need to be careful about taking that and saying, well, that means that we should all do nothing but those seven verses and acts, you know, of what was the early church. It's dangerous. That's, that's great. That's good. Thank you. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And, and I've heard this about Acts, and it really goes to touch on a little bit what I said earlier. Um, but I've heard it especially mentioned about Acts is there's a difference between what's prescribed in Acts and what's described in Acts. And 
again, we got to remember the context here. They're kind of getting this all worked out themselves. They're in a clear-cut plan. There's a little bit of confusion on what that that's one reason you see different styles of church leadership in different denominations. There is a little bit of well, were they having one guy in charge and calling him the bishop and then he would have priests or is that what would they mean or was it a community thing kind of and elders were gathering together and they were picking their leader and if the holy there's this they're kind of fleshing all this now you can say the over preponderance of evidence leads to one style or the other and that can be discussed and debated but other aspects too are not sure because Robert's exactly right there's things are being described I mean there's things being described in the Old Testament we certainly would not you know do it obviously was not it's being described and not prescribed polygamy would be a great example we we know that wasn't but it was being described we don't say oh well I guess Mormons think do that but other than Mormons <laughs> we, we we just we shouldn't do that because of the overall context of scripture and other in Acts is one of those books of it's describing a lot of what's happening in the early church it's not necessarily prescribing everything that they do is you know we don't draw lots to see you know the church leadership doesn't draw lots here to see who's going to be the next pastor or who's going to lead a you know mission community group although Brian may get to that point I don't know but you know that's exactly right I mean there's there's things going on there that's different than we do now so thank you Robert for bringing that back up so um, we go to Hebrews and Hebrews is very much a book of bringing the Old Testament to light in in the light of Christ um, it, it talks about that now I'll, I'll just I'm gonna read here from Hebrews 8 real quick but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands that is to say is not part of this creation he did not enter it by means of the blood of goats and calves but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption the blood of goats and bulls and of ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean how much more then with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleansed our consciousness from the acts that led to death so that we may serve the living God. So it's that, that's what Acts is a lot about, of taking that Old Testament and showing it was, you know, fulfilled in Christ, essentially. So um, that's Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, by the way. We don't know. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, some say Apollos. One, some say a woman may have written it. That's why it's the author we don't know. Um, it's speculation. So, but anyway, that's that's whoever it was. Obviously, the early church had confidence in who wrote it to consider it worthy of being in in scripture in the in the canon of the Bible. So, the general letters. These are the letters that are considered beyond Hebrews and the letters of Paul. These are, these are the other letters. Uh, 1 Peter, encouragement during difficult times. Uh, be a living hope, be holy. Kingdom, love of God talks about that. Uh, 
talks about the passage we mentioned a little bit earlier. For you are a chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, they may declare praises of him. Second Peter, encouragement in the face of persecution. Remember, the church is now spreading. It's spreading out. And um, they're running into hardships. That's one reason their houses may have been a little safer to meet in. For some, that's some speculation is not only because it was, someone could offer it free and they could fit everybody in there with no problem, but also they had to keep things some, in some context a little under wraps, a little not proclaim it too loud. Um, and he says in Second um, Peter 3, but in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth where righteousness, dwe- righteousness dwells. First John, stressing the basic truths of the faith in the light of emerging heresies, um, which mainly was Gnosticism, an early form of Gnosticism, which is the idea of everything material is bad. There's a special knowledge that will get you away from the material world to just be in heaven. And it teaches some really strange things. They had really odd beliefs. And there were different strands of Gnosticism. It wasn't all one form of belief. They had different, the Gnostics even had different ideas. But <clears throat> that's what John's pushing back again. So First John says, see what a great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He talks about the closeness of, uh, to God and love. This is how we know that he, we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Uh, then we go to the book of Jude, um, which again appears to be a half-brother of Jesus because he talks about being the brother of James, who was a half-brother of Jesus. Um, that's the thought there. So, uh, But again, that idea of we're forming a faith here and there's heresies developing, and he stresses on that. I felt compelled to write you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted God's holy people. There's a core doctrine. There's a core faith being involved here. Make sure you're sticking to it, he's saying, um, so we don't get lost. And then we get to part C, the second coming of the king, which is the book of Revelation. Revelation, in essence, says... The king will return. That's a revelation. <laughs> There's so many theories on revelation, and you may even have, I, I'm, I'm not even sure where Anson stands on Book of Revelation of if he's coming before the thousand years, during, after, pre trib, is there a rapture? What is the rapture? All that. There's so many different views on this. Secondary, secondary, they can be important. I don't even know if they're secondary. They may be third or fourth level. They're very interesting. But the main point is Christ is coming back. The king is going to return. That's the main point of Revelation. Satan will be defeated. Things will be taken care of. Jesus will come in as the Messiah, as the king, once and for all, and establish his kingdom on a new heaven and a new earth. Again, Creation, it's, it's more of a, a renewed idea of what creation was meant to look at, look like. Um, we need, and Bartholomew says, we need to be conscious of our sense of where history is headed. Um, the hope for the future will shape our mission in the present. God's goal for redemption was restoring his good creation. 
And primarily that means about his relationship with us, reconciliation and redeeming us. But of course, he cares about all of his creation as we see in Genesis 1 because he considered it good. He took time to, to make it. So, Revelation, Revelation 21. And it's not Revelations, by the way, if anybody didn't know, it's Revelation singular. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now, the visual there of, again, the new coming down, the new city coming down, you know, there's a lot of speculation on what that means, but you get the main point. The king's coming back to be with his people for eternity. He's going to make everything, he's going to renew everything, complete it, complete the kingdom. That's the main point of Revelation. So Bartholomew says, the goal of biblical history is a renewed creation, restored unity and harmony between the creator and creation. God dwelling with us, peace and harmony, and relationships healed. It is cosmic in shape and scope and will undo Satan's work. But the clearest picture of God's kingdom is in the person, words, actions of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, I like one thing um, Bartholomew says in, in his um, let's look if I can find it here real quick. And again, that, that idea of the new heavens and new earth, why that can be interpreted is because Isaiah 65 mentions it. See, I will create a new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, for they will not come to mind. So John here in Revelation is calling back to Isaiah. He's saying, okay, Let's, here's a picture. And of course, this is apocalyptic literature, which we talked about. Again, I want to stress again the idea of genre here, briefly. This is apocalyptic literature, like Ezekiel, parts of Daniel, that idea of using a lot of imagery to make a point. Now, why he was using the imagery, some say, you know, again, because that's the vision he was given, and it was things that he can't possibly understand in the future that are going to happen. Other think he used the imagery to, because he was pushing back a little bit on Rome and the Roman Empire, and if they got wind of this, they would have been really, really upset, although he got banished anyway. Um, so just keep in mind there is imagery there, but this has been abused at some times. I remember when the first Gulf War broke out, Books came out that said, you know, to talk about the locusts that are mentioned, you know, are really talking about helicopters coming in and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it can run amok. We just got to remember this imagery. Um, but genre is so important. And again, it, it gets complex because first century genre or Old Testament genres, uh, Old Testament genres, various ones, you know, we want to make sure we appreciate them to get what's being communicated. But the idea overall is we want to understand the story and God's character and meditate on those passages as well. 
So this new heaven and new earth also is, I think it's Bartholomew says, it's a bookmark. It puts the bookends of you had Eden at the beginning, now you have the new heaven and earth at the end. This, the bookmarks on God's story. It has been completed. And he took charge to complete it. But it's about him. It's about his character. He's the loving, holy, creator king who renews and restores. And he primarily care, cares about us. So um, let's see what time we have here. It's about time. So any last questions, thoughts on this? I appreciate you all being here. Um, well, we, we covered just a little bit of material over the last, over the last month or two. So, but, and I know it gets confusing, and the book is helpful. The book, again, is talking more about in story form. We did more than that. We were dip diving into genres, and where certain of well-known events took place, and how letters overlapped with the stories, and where prophets fell into the stories with the kings, and that kind of, so we went in a little, we, we were kind of doing two or three things at once, but we tried to keep it, keep it flowing and basic, and, and I hope it was all helpful, and um, it's, it's an amazing story, and sometimes, again, we, we like to chop it up in little bits, and we, we lose the main idea, and, and who it's really about. It's, it's not about us, and in first, 21st century America, we like to make it about us, and it's not, and it's about following Christ. It's about, what are you going to... I heard David Platt give a one of little podcast, and he gave a sermon last week in town. And it really was convicting, like, are you all in? Are you all in on this? I thought Jada and Brian were up here last week about Serve the City, and Jada leads that, that terrific ministry. She does a great job with it. But she talked about the young girl who came to Christ, and Jada said, do you want to be a follower of Christ? That's a great way to phrase it. We like to make it Jesus in our heart, whatever that means. You know, that gets confusing, especially if you're talking to young kids. We get the idea, but it's even more than that. It's the idea of, okay, are you going to follow him? Are you going to be a follower of Christ? Or are you going to limit just, I'm saved, I'm good? Or I'm saved and I'll try to be a nice person. Are you really going to try to be a follower of Christ? Be a light and salt to the world. To really dive deep in relationship with God. And make that your number one priority each and every day. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. And you almost have to make habits out of it. Daily habits and practices. In scripture. In prayer. Um, time in silence and solitude in service um, various ways you know just all these combined just and just throughout the day meditating taking time in the middle of the work day okay and there's there's resources that can help you do it there's daily offices that you know have morning prayers midday prayers and scripture readings evening prayers and scripture if you want to go that route you know just to help remind you of or you may have your own practices. So I encourage you to just dive in. The story's great. Sometimes we'll make it more complicated than it needs to be, but it can be so deep and rich, too, that you continue to learn your whole life on each. I heard a 
I'll, this is the last thing I'll say. I heard an Old Testament scholar say this week, um, I was listening to something, and he said, you know, I thought I knew the Old Testament, but once I got an Old Testament, I thought, wow, there's so much I don't know. And this was a scholar talking, saying, you know, there's just, some of these scholars just focus in on, like, one book for their whole lives. There's, there's so much depth to each one. But we don't have to make it so complicated about what the story's about, who it's about, and that he cares and loves us. And that's what it's about. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity for you to just reach out to us in this way. That your Holy Spirit is with us. That Christ died for us according to the scriptures. Um, and that your gospel is Jesus Christ raised, descended from David. And from that we can be reconciled to you um, through faith. And uh, we just thank you that you did that. You freed us from the restraints um, you make it so deep and yet so simple, and we just thank you for that. And you challenge us to be mature and to grow in you, in our knowledge of you, to grow in our walk with you and be sanctified by you. Um, but most of all, that you love us and we can focus on you through your strength. And uh, We just thank you for that. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.